Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into this message. Father, we just thank you again for being with us this whole week. Thank you, Lord, for calling us up higher. We just ask, Lord, in this final part of this ACF meeting, Lord, that you would bless us with the special outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to understand the things we need to understand before we go back home. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody take your Bible and let's go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. You can find Philippians. Remember, Gep, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? General Electric Power Company, right? We're going to Philippians chapter 1. Let's read this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of who? To all the what? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with bishops and deacons. Who was Paul writing this letter to? To the who? Let me read it one more time. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Who was he writing this letter to? To all the saints, right? Some of you are like giving interpretation. The 144,000, right? No, he, 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 he's writing to the who? Don't forget this. This is very important. He was writing to the who? Very good. Let's continue reading. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Go to verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Paul says... God has started a work in you, and he will what? Finish it. In other words, you are a work in progress. Now, let me ask you a question. Who was he writing this letter to? To the saints. Notice this. Paul's definition of a saint is somebody who is a work in progress. Can you say amen to that? In other words, when you think of the word saint, what normally comes to your mind? Maybe a Mother Teresa or something like that? You got too much Babylon in you, right? No, no, no. No, no. What I'm trying to say is this. You're normally thinking of somebody with a halo. When you think of saint, you think of somebody who's like living in Calcutta. No offense to all those Indians, right? Um, So somebody who's just like, man, they're totally self They're sacrificing everything. They're just you know, living way, way over there. They're doing this and that. And, uh, you know, they got like butterflies and, you know, birds landing on them, whatever. The point is this, is that when we think of a saint, many times we have unbiblical conceptions of what a saint is. But to Paul's work, Paul's um, just um, mindset, it was this. If you are a work in progress, then you are a saint of God. So how many people here are a work in progress? Raise your hand. Do you know what you are? You're a saint. (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't feel like it, right? No, no. If you are a work in progress, you are a saint according to the Bible. Praise the Lord, right? Today we're going to be taking a good look at something. And uh, this is just something that I, you know, really has blessed me. I'm going to talk about a few different things. You know, I uh, let me just tell you about my background. You know, I was born and raised a Hindu, and I come from, you know, a very traditional Indian family. And Indians are very academically inclined. Let's just put it that way, right? Uh, you know, my parents worked very just intense jobs overnight, and so they wanted a very good education for their family. My oldest sister, she's uh, finished up law school early, the next two sisters, they both became doctors. They have a clinic. My younger sister, she has, like, her own business and blah, blah, blah. My brother, he has, like, this million-dollar Internet company. And uh, just, like, my family, I mean, it was just, we were all about education growing up. For fun, my parents would take us to the library. It's like, I need anything, right? We're taking you to the library, right? We were excited about that, right? In fact, my sisters were doing my dad's taxes in their preteens. It's just the way my family was. Very, very academic inclined. There was a black sheep in the family, though. (laughs) How'd you guess, right? It was me. I really didn't like education. 
In fact, I would oftentimes go to school and I would try to ditch classes. I didn't do very well. I would uh, come home from school and I'd play video games all the way till evening. And I just thought, I'm not smart. Something's wrong with me. I'm just stupid. Um, And something began to happen when I became a Christian. In fact, what's so interesting, during the time I became a Christian, I kept ditching classes. If you actually look at my transcripts, there are like W's galore everywhere. Like WWWW. Do you know what W stands for? You shouldn't know what it stands for, right? <laughs> I, I know what that is, right? I have those on my right. It stands for withdrawals, right? In other words, you didn't fail the class. You just stopped showing up for the class. And I really was not just, I just thought something is wrong with me. And here was the problem. And it was when God began to change my mind on education that just everything began to change. Now, I love education. In fact, I was actually supposed to graduate Friday, but I'm here. Um, I was just finishing up one of the degrees. I'm working on multiple degrees. And it's just something God has given me a love for. But I did not have that love growing up. Something changed in my experience. And that is when I began to understand what Ellen White says right here, which is very powerful. She says this. It is right for the youth to feel they must reach the highest development of their mental powers. But our attainments avail nothing if not put to use for the honor of God and for the good of humanity. In other words, my education, the reason why I could not get into it is because I had wrong conceptions of what education was all about. I thought it was just about me. But when I begin to understand what Ellen White was saying and what the Bible was essentially inferring, which was, look, this is about the glory of God and helping other people. All of a sudden, it was like I was the best student in class now. It was like, I love this. I want to sit in the front. And somehow something turned on in my brain that was never turned on growing up. When I begin to realize God's big purpose for education. I really want to challenge you. If you haven't understood the purpose of education, I believe God's up to something. I want you to memorize this because I believe these will be guiding principles for your life. They will call you up higher. They will give you more endurance. They will give you more determination to finish for the glory of God. Do you know what is one benefit of your educational experience, I'm going to tell you right now, it's getting a degree. Do you know that? You're like, wait a minute, I thought that was the goal. It's not the goal. It's a benefit. Do you know what the goal of your education is? For the glory of God and for the good of humanity. Can you say amen to that? Today, we're going to be taking a good look at when Jesus went to school. You're like, Jesus, Jesus went to school. And we're going to take a good look at what the Bible teaches about that experience and why this will be applicable on the very last day of this ACFI retreat. Um, Everybody, take your Bible. and Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to Luke chapter two. You know, in these end times, God has so many ways of spreading the truth. And he is up to some very miraculous things in these times. In fact, I actually just got a call about a few months ago. While we're turning to Luke 4, chapter 2, verse 40. Somebody says to me, they said, Anel, you just preached a sermon at Walmart. And I was like, what? They're like, you just preached a sermon at Walmart. And I said, no, I didn't. I was in Fresno. And I said, I wasn't at Walmart. They said, you just preached a sermon at Walmart. I go elaborate. They said, my son happens to be a manager at Walmart. And uh, you know those walkie-talkies that are directly connected to the intercom? What happened is this. He took his lunch break, one-hour lunch break. He went into his car. He left his walkie-talkie on. And he was listening to a sermon I was preaching. And what happened for 45 minutes is that a sermon was airing all over Walmart. And they couldn't shut it down. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? You know, it's so interesting. When he got back in, the managers running around, they couldn't shut down the system because it was lo- they, they were locked out. 
And I always think about that. I'm like, man, can you imagine when people get to heaven one day, they're like, what changed my life was a sermon at Walmart. <laughs> I mean, I just, rem- I don't even know what the sermon was about, right? Can you just imagine somebody shopping for Tide detergent all of a sudden? You need the blood of Jesus to be clean. <laughs> what? Someone shopping for some clothes? You need the robes of righteousness. What? I mean, who knows, right? In these times, God is up to very something very special, and he wants to include you as part of these great plans. Can you say amen to that? The gospel is going to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, and will so all the way till the second coming. And you are part of that very powerful experience. You may say, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not preaching a series over there or there. You are called to be a minister where God has planted you. And that is also including part of your education. We're going to take a good look at when Jesus went to school. Everybody go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Very good. I don't have a special acronym for that. Right? Luke chapter 2. And let's start with verse Actually, let's start with verse 39. I want you to notice something. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, that's the parents of Jesus, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in what? Spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Don't miss this. There are key areas that Jesus is growing in as he is developing, right? Notice what happens at the age of 12. Verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy who lingered in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. You know what's so amazing? Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he started to notice what was happening with the temple services. And as he was watching the temple services, it was like things began to coalesce in his mind, and he understood right then and there his identity. Now, just think about this. It was his study of the sanctuary that revealed his identity. The study of the sacrificial services that revealed his mission. And that's very key to us as Seventh-day Adventists, isn't it, right? In fact, have you ever heard of the Baha'i faith? Do you know what Baha'i believe in? Everything, right? (laughs) Pretty much, right? But you know what's so interesting about the Baha'i faith? In fact, if you go to India, there's several lotus temples, big temples in there. And you go in there, there's no idols in there. There's just a pew, and there's just an empty stage, and people go on and they worship. But the Baha'i believe there are multiple paths to God. And it's interesting. Did you know that the Baha'i faith came to be around the time of the Great Awakening. But they came to different conclusions at what happened in 1844. In fact, if you go to their actual website, they have the prophecy of Daniel chapter 8, verse 14 laid out. Now, why is that important? One day I was on a plane, and I was flying with some, uh, just by myself, and I was sitting next to a young neurosurgeon and her husband, who happened to be an IT guy, and they lived in San Francisco. As we were flying, we just began to talk about, like, veganism or something. I don't know how that came up, right? And it was so interesting because I was like, so, she's like, so what do you, what do you, what, what, what's this thing you're talking about? I go, oh, I'm just, a, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, oh, that's nice. That's cool. And I was like, yeah, explaining some things to her. I go, what about you? She's like, I'm from the Baha'i faith. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And she's like, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I was like, cool. I said, you know, it's really interesting about the Baha'i faith and how they came to be. She's like, I'm very familiar with the history. I go, that's right. You know, what's interesting as I continue talking, <laughs> I said, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really intriguing about how Baha'ism came to be and just what was happening all over the entire world at that time. She's like, yep. And she's like, and she kind of sort of just was inserting things for me. She's like, yeah, and the Christians were wrong. And I said, yeah, they were wrong. But I said, did you know there was a group of people who began to believe something different? 
And then she said, what? And that's the sermon for another day. The point I'm trying to make is this. <laughs> it's the last night. What are you going to do, right? Right? The point I'm trying to make is this. Look, our, the beliefs that God has given to us and opened up to us, look, they're not weird beliefs. They're unique beliefs, right? Do you know the difference between being something that's unique and something that's weird? Something that we is weird is an attribute that causes people to be uncomfortable, right? That's weird, right? No one says that positively. That's weird, right? It makes people feel uncomfortable. But do you know what's something that is unique? It's an attribute that makes people feel interested. One day somebody said, hey, yeah, we just believe in some weird things. And I said, let me just share some things with you. And I explained the difference between weirdness and uniqueness. And then I said at the very end of it, I said, you know, it's our teachings that are unique. And I looked them right in the eye and I said, it's people who are weird. There's something beautiful about the truths of God's word. Can you say amen to that? And it's attractive when it's held up in its beauty and its light. And God just, just says, God just says that don't stand in the way of the light. So let's understand this story about Jesus. Jesus is at the, the, the temple. He's watching what's happening. Everything is just coming together in his mind. He's starting to realizing, realize his identity. And then something happened shortly after in Luke chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says right here. Verse 44. But supposing him to have been in the journey, they went a day in the company. They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was after three days. I mean, just think about this. They didn't just lose their son. They lost the hope of salvation. You ever think about that? It's like Joseph turning to Mary. Do you know what we just lost? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I mean, they took their eyes off the, the special gift that God had given to them, the hope of the entirety of the Old Testament, the covenants, right? And eternity future. And they left him alone. <laughs> and I think about that, and I'm just like, what? But like all human parents, they got distracted. They went a day's journey. They saw a bunch of kids, and they just assumed, ah, oh, he's there. Jesus fit in. And then when they called him, nobody came. They raced back to Jerusalem, and it was during the time of the Feast of Passover. So Jews from all over the world were showing up. Anything could have happened to him. Anything could have happened to him. And you can just imagine those three days of regret and remorse because of one day when they took their eyes off Jesus. One day of taking their eyes off Jesus, and they were knocked back several days. Let's continue with this. Verse 46. So it now was after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and what? Asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him and were, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my what? Father's business, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Let me ask you a question right now. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. What was he doing at that precise moment that he was classifying as his father's business? What was he doing when they saw him? He was sitting in the midst of teachers. He was asking questions and he was giving answers. In other words, when he said he must be about his father's business, 
What was his father's business? It was precisely what he was doing. He was sitting in the midst of teachers and he was conversing with them. In other words, friends, it is your father's will that when God has called you to be educated, it is just as important as if you were preaching or teaching in church. Are you listening to me? That was the father's business for Jesus at that moment. You know what's so powerful about that experience, too, is that in the Jewish sort of culture, the teacher would be sitting in the middle and the students would be surrounding them. Do you know what's different about this? He was in the midst. And you know who was surrounding him? All these teachers. They were so blown away. You know, Jesus understood that he was living in a very antagonistic environment. He understood the diversity and sort of the, just the beliefs that were not in tune with the, you know, the Old Testament. He knew what he was dealing with. Plus, he also had to deal with the prejudice of age. He realized he was not an old rabbi who could just debate and talk. He realized that in order to have influence, he was going to have to disarm their prejudice. And do you know how he did it? By being a little boy and asking questions and supplying answers. So what's my point? My point is this. You are in college. And there are people around you, including your own professors. And God is calling you to be a witness to them. And from the example of Jesus... We can see how he disarmed the prejudice and the barriers that existed. You know, it's so powerful when you study out scripture. We're actually given insight about how to communicate with those that are out into the world. The Bible says something so interesting. It says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, a verse we're probably all familiar with. It says this, sanctify the what? Lord God in your hearts and always be ready. To give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with what? Meekness or fear in some versions is with gentleness and respect. You know, it's so interesting. The Bible says right here, and by the way, do you know who wrote these words? Do you know what Peter's problems was in the gospel? He was the first to talk. Anger management, yeah, that was it right there, right? But he was the first to talk. But what's so interesting, he says some words right here that are so powerful. He says, look, you always got to be ready. But there is a prerequisite, which is sanctify God in your hearts. You know, Peter began to understood there was a time and place for communication. When Jesus is dwelling in your heart, you're close to him. God will give you the words to say. You know, it's so interesting. Something happened to me last week, I think it was. Um... Let me just back up a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. I went to Weimar College. Anybody ever heard of Weimar College? It's Ivy League College. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so, anyways, I went there, and uh, it was, it's, right, it's right there with the foothills. And I, what part of my work study was I had to go clear trails. I was like, cool, man job, right? I had this giant pickaxe with me, and I had to go clear the trails. There's hundreds of acres that are there, and the patients would walk on the trails. They said, um, Anel, we need you to go clear trail super early in the morning. I said, tell me how early you want. They said, 5 a.m. I said, 5 a.m. I'll do it. And so I had to hike out a mile with the pickaxe. And before I went, they said, hey, look, man, you don't got to worry about anything out here. Don't worry about mountain lions or bears. They're there, but you don't need to worry about them. I'm like, good. <laughs> He's like, the trail manager said, but there is one animal you need to be careful with. I said, what? And he said, the coyote. And I said, what? I've seen those things. They get run over all the time. <laughs> He's like, you don't understand. The coyotes here are much bigger. And I was like, you mean a wolf? He's like, no. I'm talking about coyotes. And I didn't believe him. I was just like, whatever. I went out there. I cleared that trail in the morning. I flattened out on the way back. Just literally the same day. I was just walking back. And all of a sudden, I hear this shuffling in the bush. And I turn around. And I was thinking, uh-oh, what's that? And out comes a little baby deer. Like it had white, sp I never saw Bambi, but I thought that's what Bambi looks like. 
And I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's cute. That's nice. And the baby bear just looked at me and then just went off. And I thought, oh, okay. I took one step when all of a sudden I heard some more shuffling in the bushes. And I turned around. And I'm just telling you what I saw. From me to the corner of that room, just not too far, I saw the biggest coyote I've ever seen in my entire life. And the strangest thing about this coyote was that his teeth were gnarled. And I was like, that is weird. And I've owned big dogs. I've owned a Malamute before. Do you know what a Malamute is? Big sled dog. I have German Shepherd. This was bigger. And it was so strange. I watched this thing, and it just chased after the baby deer. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, I better get out of here. I took one step, and I heard more shuffling. And I lowered my pickaxe this time. I was like, all right, we're going to go out this time, you know. <laughs> and out came Mama Deer, just looking for baby. And I got back, and I was, like, telling the trail manager. He's like, yep, told you. I told you. And I even tell my friend about this. He told me a week later, he said, Anel, I saw something strange when I went out there in the woods. I go, what? He said, I saw a coyote bigger than any dog. I, I saw the same thing. Strange. Now, why is that important? Just a week ago, I was hiking with my German shepherd. His name's Hero. And I was hiking with him. And uh, by myself, we had parked the, the truck way down at the end, beginning of the trail. And it, the, the gates were, you know, it was just in a gated area. I went walking by myself. The sun was going down. I was like, oh, I should probably get back before I get my truck gets locked out. I took one step back. And I turned to the right. There was a coyote looking at me. And this is like Fresno, California. And this wasn't like that great coyote. This was, it was a big coyote. And I was like, oh, that's a coyote right there. All of a sudden, I looked to the right. There was another coyote. And there was a pack of coyotes, and they were tracking me. In fact, what was so interesting, my dog, he was just acting strange the whole time we were walking. He was sniffing something in the air. Just I couldn't understand what was going on. And they were tracking us. And they got behind us, and they started yelping. You know why they yelp, right? They try to lure the dog so they can attack the dog, or they're calling in more coyotes. Anyways, we got back, and they, they got close. So what's my point? There's something I've learned, and there's something that they teach with people who are going out into the woods or people who like, are in college at night, something called the light system. The light system is this. Someone who's on just what they call the white light is when they're just blindly walking into a situation. They're like, Whatever, you know, and they're unaware of the dangers. Someone who's in red light is like, I'm not even going into this. But they say, you need to be on yellow light, which is you're always aware of your surroundings. You're constantly paying attention. You're going into this just with your eyes open. And I've just kind of learned to be on yellow alert, just to keep my eyes open for what's around me. And uh, just come across various animals. I've come across mountain lion. And I'm always on, like, yellow alert as I'm just hiking or walking or whatever. I'm just aware so what Peter is saying right here, he said, look, you always need to be on yellow alert. You need to be on yellow alert. Because you need to give an answer of the things that you believe in, the hope of the things you believe in. There are people everywhere all around us who are asking questions. I was one of them. And I wanted and hoped so bad for somebody to talk to me about Jesus. In fact, the reason why I became an Adventist is I actually approached the Adventists. I began to ask questions. Because nobody would talk to me. There are people all over your colleges who are just like, I wish somebody would talk to me about God. You know, it's so interesting talking about this. I was uh, taking a few classes at this local college when I was pastoring a few years ago. I had to take this class called Philosophy of Science. And the teacher's name was Judy Kane, like Kane who slew Abel. And uh, it was so interesting because she, was just, she just taught about the philosophy of science. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm in this class. And then she, she said, we're going to dedicate the last part of this semester to attacking the foolish idea of creationism. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything in this class. I'm not going to say anything. And I was really praying. I was like, Lord, if you want me to say anything, help me to say it. In fact, it was so interesting. Um, there were these atheists who were sitting in the front row, and they just, they hated me for some reason. I was always just trying to be just nice. In fact, on the very first day of the class, I, was, I, like, I, told, everybody, um, I told myself, I'm not going to share with anybody that I'm a pastor. I, you know, I just grew my beard out. It makes me look 10 years older. But I, I, I was shaved. I wore shorts to college. I was trying to be a college student. And uh, I'd sit in the back or sit in wherever. And uh, the teacher on the first day, she was like, okay, everybody, let's go around the room and tell us what you do for a profession. 
I was like, no. And then so I was like, yeah. So uh, I'm a pastor. Every just stopped and looked at me. And the teacher continued. Anyways, in the class, when we were talking about science, we're talking about evolution. Sometimes I'd ask questions. I would say, so, you know, and ask some basic questions. I said, so when you're looking at the fossil records, where are the, you know, intermediate species? Where are those things? That moment, these atheists, they were, they were just angry at me for some reason. One of them does this. She turns around and she says these words out loud. This isn't Pokemon. That's what I said for a moment. Then I thought, oh, yeah, okay. You know, got to find them all. Because I was like, where are they? Gotta f- anyways, don't worry about it. So <laughs> anyway, so she yells that in front of the class. And, like, everyone started laughing at me. And then the other guy, he was like, and he, he's in the front row. He starts looking at me, and he's like, you know, you take these Christians, and they think that when you take a rock that's millions of years old and you find fossils that millions of years old, that somehow the world was created in 6,000. And he was, like, talking to me from the front row when I was in the back, and he was just, like, trying to rebuke me or chastise me in that class. Like, it was such an intense situation. And I was really praying. I said, Lord, I want to be a witness. I don't know what to do. And I would just smile. I wasn't, like, fighting back or anything like that. I'd just smile. I'd be like, that probably annoyed them more, right? <laughs> you know what's so amazing about the teacher? She shut them down for me. She told one, that one, she's like, stop talking. She poured her finger right at him, stop talking, because she knew what he was doing. In fact, in our journal, she wrote to me about that day. She said, oh, no, I just want to apologize for the way some people are treating you in class. I said, no problem. This teacher, by the way, she was suffering from health ailments. And uh, so I was praying for her. I even told her, I said, hey, I'm praying for you. She said, thank you. On the very last day, I got her a vegan cooking book, too. So I don't even know why it was in my car, but I'm like, I'll give it to her, right? She was doing eating vegetarian food, so I thought, why not? And it was so interesting because I had just been praying, Lord, help me to be a witness in this class. Help me be a witness in this class. wasn't going anywhere. The very last day of class, the atheists happened not to, sh- they didn't show up that day. It was really strange. Maybe they're at some convention or something. Anyway, so they didn't show up that day. And the teacher, she's going over the National Academy, a criteria of science. And she gets to the fourth criteria. And she says, here's the fourth criteria of science. It has to be testable. It has to be refutable. So I raised my hand and I said, can I ask a question? I said, how would you test or repeat this theory of macroevolution that, you know, over millions of years we have evolved through random chance processes? And she said, okay, well, the way you would answer that is this. You would look into the fossil record, and you would see if you could test out the theory in the fossil record. And for some reason, I just raised my hand again. And I said, but when you look at the fossil record, it's not continuous. It's discontinuous. At that moment, I just saw like a gulp happen. And she said these words, you're right about that. And then I raised my hand again, and it was the strangest thing. And I said, isn't it true, though, over the last 100-plus years, there has been so many hoaxes with this macroevolution theory? And then she took a step away from the chalkboard, and she said, you are right about that, Anel. And then I raised my hand again. It was just, look, I've been praying an entire semester, okay? (laughs) I was not raising my hand. The Holy Spirit was just like, I'm making up for everything right now, right? (laughs) Anyways, and then I said, you know, how many alterations does a theory need before it's finally dismissed? And then she ends the class with this. She said, that's why we're here now. We are done with this class. And you know what's so interesting? There was just this tension in the air. And I thought to myself, what just happened? This student gets up. He just stands up and he says, hey, man, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. Walked outside. He's like, look, man, I don't believe anything you just said. I said, I was just asking questions. He's like, I used to be a Catholic. I don't believe any of this stuff anymore. I said, have you ever studied at the Bible? He's like, yeah. Then I'm like, have you ever studied out Daniel and Revelation? He's like, no. I was like, why don't you give me a chance to study out Daniel Revelation with you? He's like, okay, I'm going to do that. 
I said, okay, cool. We got to exchange phone numbers. Walked back into class, and this guy gives me a high five. Just gives me a high five. <laughs> and I found out the reason why he gave me a high five. He's like, thanks, bro. He was somebody who was dating an Adventist. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but either way, at that moment, like, he just gave me a high five. Thanks for saying that. And I was like, oh, cool. And then the person in front of me, they said, hey, look, um, what'd you write your final paper on? I said, I wrote it on intelligent design. In fact, I even wrote an appeal to my teacher in that paper. And she gave me an A, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's like, can I read your paper? I said, sure, I can read your paper. His paper was on, like, astrophysics or something like that. I can't remember. Anyways, this guy ended up coming to my Friday night Bible study, and he wanted me to marry him. Not marry him, but marry him and his wife. <laughs> him and his wife. Him and his wife, yes. I mean, just these were the relationships that started building in that class, and it was so interesting, and it was just because, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to ask questions. And it was so powerful because I got to have lunch with some of these people, have just intelligent conversations, Bible studies, and God just opened up something so powerful simply because I was just asking questions. I said, look, if I'm in an environment of dialogue and communication, I'm respectfully going to ask questions. I'm going to ask questions. And I believe God is going to use that opportunity of dialogue and discussion to per people's interest. In fact, I went to another, it just happened two years ago, I had to take this class with this guy known as, on his Twitter, the Arabian Atheist. In fact, he's one of the foremost, actually, scholars on the Middle East. He's been on the Bill Meyer show. Um, he is just really intense. He has um, debated different scholars. I mean, he knows his stuff. And, uh, and he just has this issue with Christianity. I had to take a class with him that was on gender studies in the Middle East. And uh, one day in class, he just says, okay, today's subject, we're going to have a discussion on this. We're going to, dis- we're going to talk about how the maleness of God in the three world, ma- uh, world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, contributes to the sexism that is present in today's culture. That's a mouthful, right? And instantly, all these hands began to go up, so I just raised my hand. And at first, I was like, I'm, keep your mouth shut now. But I said, I I came across this verse, which was so important. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He opens not his mouth in the gate. Do you know what the gate was? It was the place where discussion, negotiation happened outside Jerusalem. In other words, if there was an environment to talk, you need to talk. And so I raised my hand and I said, you know, it's very interesting when you, you brought up your question about the maleness of God, I said in Hinduism, they have female gods that are very present and in charge in the Hindu religion. But I said sexism is a big problem in India. Could you explain that for me? And the teacher said, yeah, um, that's a very good point. And he said, but when you look at the Bible, you can see the sexism that is present in the scriptures. And at that point, it was like there was this mom mentality. Someone's like, yeah, when you look at Genesis, God made a helper for Adam, a slave for Adam. And I'm like, I, I, I got to say something. <laughs> so I said, you know, and I, and I try to just be, I don't want to be obnoxious with people. I just gently just, I said, where's that brother who, who sings with a big smile on his face with a hat? Like, I, I, sm- I try to smile like him. When I'm there, I'm just like, so. <laughs> I, can I share something with you? And uh, the teacher said, okay, let's hear it, Anel. And I said, you know what's very interesting? When you look in Hebrew, the actual Hebrew language, and I shared what I shared with you earlier. I said ten times the word helper appears as God's powerful help. The other six times it appears as military aid. And I said the English language actually slaughters those words. And then somebody raises their hand, and they're just jumping into this. They said, yeah, but when you read 1 Corinthians, it says that women should submit to men. That sounds like sexism to me. And I raised my hand again. And the teacher, actually, before I got my hand up, said, Anel, what would you like to say? (laughs) In fact, I kind of chuckled. I said, you know, it sounds like a Bible class. And everybody kind of laughed. Back in my mind, I'm like, you know what to do. So I said, you know, um, 
you know, everyone knows from any world religion class, you don't take one or two texts and make an entire doctrine out of that. That's just, that's an affrontery to those very religions. And then the teacher says, but when you look at the Bible and you see all the ways that women are oppressed, he says, sexism is present in religion. And I said, you know, I can't speak for people. But I can talk about the founder of Christianity. And I said, Jesus. At that book, I took out the ethnography of the Middle Eastern village we were looking at. And I said, even Jesus would have violated the norms that would be in that was in this culture. At that moment, there was just this silence. And the teacher looked at me. And this is what happened. He said these words. Let's just change the subject. <laughs> but I got to have good conversations with people. People came up to me like, hey, where'd you get this information? And, you know, they had no clue I'm a pastor or whatever, but I don't need to be a pastor to talk. You know, if God's put me there and I can raise questions, it is a place of discussion, right? That's what university is all about, a diversity of opinions, right? And we need to make sure that's maintained. And so if God has put you in those places, you know what? Be fearless and say, you know what? I'm just going to ask a question. One of my teachers one day, I'll keep going into this. He was, it was on, it was a philosophy class. And the teacher was just going into this. He said, you know what we need in our world? We need a better philosophy. And when we have a better philosophy, the world will be better. And then I raised my hand and I said, can I ask a question? He said, yeah. I said, we've dealt with the same problem for thousands of years. The same exact problems. Do you really think the answer is a better philosophy? And he said, Let's talk after class. So after class, he was like smoking this cigarette, blowing smoke in my face. I was like, <coughs> and, I was like <laughs> and you know, I just kind of smiled like a brother over there. And I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, and I said, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah. He's like, I go, do you believe in any kind of objective truth? And he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, what about you? I go, I'm actually a Seventh-day Adventist, um, and, you know, this is what I believe in. And he said, oh, Seventh-day Adventist. He said, my best friend's a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, instantly, it was like, you know, always be ready. I realized what God is up to. You know, kind of bringing circumstances together, and I said, it was really cool. I got to talk to him, got to give him a DVD. You know what just happened last year? I was taking a constitutional law class, and uh, the professor was just talking about somebody, and I said, you know, and... You don't have to be a Ben Carson fan, but I'm a Ben Carson fan, okay? And prior to the election. I'm a Ben Carson fan, so um, <laughs> support it to the end, right? <laughs> All right. For the sake, let me just, for the sake of discussion, this is what happened, okay? So while we're talking, he was talking about the various presidential candidates, and I just said, you know, I, I like Ben Carson. And he's like, oh, Ben Carson, he's like, yeah, but he was just going after capitalism and the idea of capitalism. And I said, you know, I read his book called America the Great, America the Beautiful, and he talks about capitalism, but he also talks about a social responsibility. And the teacher said, really? Anyways, so we talked after class, and I had something ready. You know what I had ready? The desire of ages. That's like a gun. <laughs> I had Desire of Ages ready, and I just kept it with me. And he's, like, talking, and he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He said he was just talking about different things, whatever. And then he is like, he's like, so what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. He's like, what church you go to? Oh, I go, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And he's like, he looked up, and he's like, oh, I see the Ben Carson connection there. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. So while we were talking, he's like, he's like, yeah, I go to the Catholic Church. I'm not sure if I believe, but I go. And I said, you know, I have a book, man. I mean, like, it's a really cool book, and it's not about religion. It's about Jesus. And he's like, I'd be interested in reading that book. And I pulled that. I said, I actually got here. <laughs> and I pulled it out, and I said, you know what? Why don't you keep this copy? It's like a brand-new copy. And I said, here you go, man. He's like, thanks, man. I'll, actually, I'll read this. 
You know what's so interesting? This isn't about this or that. You know what this is really about? This is about being a witness. It's about sharing the gospel. There are issues at stake that are far greater than anything we understand. Far greater than we understand. And I I began to realize something at the colleges. There were many just people who were interested in the gospel message. And they were just waiting for someone to talk. Bring something up. Make somebody just, just someone who's approachable. And so you know what began to happen? It just, God began to bless this time. Look, here's the thing. You don't have to have the best kind of speaking abilities. You don't need to know all there is. But when you just begin to ask questions, you will see God will lead. You know when you take the building of a house, do you know what it's required to build a house? You need an expert who can lay foundations. You need an expert who can put up framing. You need an expert who can install electrical, an expert at roofing. But it takes one inspector to come into the project who's not an expert in foundation, who's not an expert in framing, who's not an expert in electrical, who's not an expert in roofing, just to see blemishes and cracks to immediately disqualify the entire program, the project. See, we may not have all the answers out there, but with a lot of things that are out there, we can ask questions. And you know what? People are already on the same page as you are. They just aren't saying anything. But God wants to use you as a powerful witness. And you will see what he does when you're saying, okay, Lord, I want to start praying for the Holy Spirit. And I want to be fearless. And I just, I want to share, tell me when the right time is. And you will see. All of a sudden your hand will start going up nonstop. You will discover God will use you in powerful ways. Powerful ways. It's so amazing because Peter understood these words. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. People are asking questions all over the entire world, and God wants to use you in that very process. You know, it's so amazing. Peter said some powerful words in the same epistle. He said this, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, of people who he has called out of darkness to proclaim his light to this world. Friends, when you take a good look at the Old Testament, you will discover that every generation of God's people have laid a certain material into the house of God. Abraham and his generation laid a certain material in this grand building project. You take a good look at Isaac and Jacob. The Israelites and every group of people, every generation of people, they contributed something to the cause of God. You think about the early church and you think about all the heroes of the early church and how God used them to contribute to the church. You think about what happened during the dark ages and the great apostasy and with the middle ages, how God raised up reformers. You know who one of my favorite reformers is? Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther one time said, he said, I hope that when I die, I become a ghost. Now, Martin Luther, by the way, believed in the state of the dead just like we do. But he said something. He said, I hope when I die, I become a ghost. So I can haunt all the papists and priests and the cardinals out there. So that they may know that a dead Luther is far worse than a living Luther. Every generation of God's people laid and contributed to the building. The early Adventist church, composed of young adults, people who who lived and believed the visions of God. For the last 100 years, generation after generation has contributed to the building of God. And now you are called onto the scene to contribute to this building. Friends, you are called for such a time as this. And just like the Waldenses of old who weren't changed by their circumstances but changed their circumstances by their influence and their godliness, God has called you for such a time as this. You are called at a very special time. And I love what Ellen White says. She said, God is willing to do more now than he's ever done before. And when you look back, Into the past, you can see amazing things that took place, and we think to ourselves, how could anything top that? This is the opportunity that God is willing to do 
amazing things. And he wants you to be part of this process. Friends, we are living in some very special times. Generation after generation has come to this very point. And now, at the very cusp, the very edge, before the second coming, God wants you to play a powerful role. And I love what our brother was saying during church service. You may look at your past, but guess what? God has looked beyond that. And he's looking into the future. You have come up to this point messed up, feeling guilty, maybe like Elijah running from something, confused, feeling defeated or like a failure. From this point, God wants to give a brand new experience. And he wants to use you in that very process. Friends, you are called for such a time as this. You know, we're going to be passing out some cards, the final cards. And I believe this is the time that God wants us to make a decision. Regardless of even what's on the card, you need to make a decision for Christ. You need to make a decision for the Lord. And perhaps God is calling you to do this, or God is calling you to get rid of this. God is calling you to make a decision for him. These are the times that we are living in. And I love what Ellen White says right here that is so powerful talking about the church. This is found in the very first chapter of the book Acts of the Apostles. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. Do you know the church is not a building? You know that, right? The church has always been a people group. There is no definition of scripture as a church. And I really believe we do a disservice when we say we're going to church. Wrong. You are the church. The church is going to a building. Amen? The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through the church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and sufficiency. Now, notice what's happening right here. This is so powerful. The church is a repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church, this is amazing. This is so powerful right here. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. It's through you. God is preparing for the ultimate witness, not just to this world, but to the universe itself. The full display of the love of God. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.